Welcome once again to the John Sando podcast. Uh, my name is Arabella von Friesen and I'm hugely pleased to be talking this morning to Ian Collins, a writer and curator of distinction, who is, luckily for us all, endowed with those far rarer qualities of imagination, wit and humour. He's worked with the British Museum, the Benaki Museum in Athens, the Leventis Gallery in Cyprus, Yale Centre for British Art. He's also done a fine monograph on the art of Rose Hilton and others, um, on the collector of British art, Rhoda Pritzker, the painters of Southwold, a wonderful book on the photographs of Joan Lee Farmer, her photographs of Greece mostly, and more. And now Yale has published his magnificent and beautifully illustrated biography of the British artist John Craxton, for which, Ian, you have been gathering universal acclaim. Despite these various directions, the unifying principle seems to be 20th century British art, especially mid-century and a little after. And we might go further and say that the work and life of John Craxton has been your chief preoccupation for more than a decade. Your first book on his work came out 10 years ago, and you were an important contributor to the wonderful Charmed Lives in Greece, Geeker, Craxton, Lee Fermer exhibition and catalogue, both as a writer and curator. How did you come to John Craxton? Well, I particularly like to write about artists I've known. And in John's case, I met him in January 2000 at the funeral of our mutual friend, Prunella Clough, the painter, the wonderful painter in London. And that was an absolute, absolute uh, sea change for me because uh, it, um, John, in a way, took over my life. I became his secretary, I suppose we call it. I became his general helper. And he was just wonderful. He was an absolutely golden man, hilarious, full of uh, recondite knowledge, but forever building up to the next joke. I just loved him. And from the first day, we went, we ended up in the French pub in Soho, and um, where he'd been drinking, he told me, since 1941, and this was January 2000, and he couldn't understand why nobody from those days was still in the bar, uh, as he was drinking on, nobody else was. And uh, I said on the first day, could I please write your biography? And he said, never mention that again if you want to be friends with me. And then towards the end, when we were interviewing uh, uh, on tape recording, tape recorders, he said, well, it's perfectly clear to me that you'll be writing another book when I'm out of the way, so I better give you some information for it. And then he started to give me the information for the, for, for, for the biography. Thank, thank goodness. It was a story that was really nearly lost. And I, I feel I just salvaged it from, from the debris. And, and uh, I'm just so glad to have done that. It's been a labour, but it's been a labour of love. I, I, can, I can imagine, but I mean, how much fun to do it. I think that's one thing that is very clear from the from your book is this sort of overwhelming sense of joy and pleasure and delight and and love. That's it, Arabella. I mean, I mean John, no, nobody enjoyed life more than John Craxton did. He was just full of the sensations and intoxications of living. And he said very bluntly that life was more important than art. And that got him into a lot of trouble because people thought he wasn't serious enough. He wasn't working. He was too busy partying. But what he was doing was he was actually living the life that he was putting into his art. If you want to know uh, the, 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 about the art of, of, of John Craxton, read the biography to see where, where the pictures came from. Those are um, snapshots of his life, really. And he was having fun. It started well, too, didn't it? I mean, he was born in 1922, 
which is a year that the late and lamented Kevin Jackson described as a, a constellation of modern genius. It's amazing. I, 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 John Traxton, uh, um, uh, uh, Lucian Freud, Ronald Blythe, a wonderful painter, Mary Newcomb, lo yeah. lots and lots of people. And the publication of Ulysses and the Four Quartets, Louis Armstrong heading off to Chicago. Of course. No, it's, 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 it's an absolute watershed year. He, 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 I, call, I call the book a, a Life of Gifts, partly to play to the title of his, his best book jacket for Paddy Lee Firm, a, a Time of Gifts, but also because A Life of Gifts is what he had. He was superbly talented, but also supremely fortunate. He had amazing luck. And, and he built on luck by being absolutely charming. And as charming people do, they, they live charmed lives. And, and, and his greatest stroke of luck uh, in, this, in this supremely fortunate life was in his parents, who were just wonderful. They were musical, bohemian. Uh, they had an open house in St. John's Wood. They rented uh, a house from the MCC. They, they backed onto North's cricket ground. They all watched cricket except John Traxon, of course. He had no interest in it. He only had interest in art. And it was an open house for waifs and strays and musically gifted people. And it's a sort of house where people could go and stay for a day or two and then hang on for four years. Uh, Dennis Matthews, the pianist, did that. He had no money and they just virtually adopted him. But in turn, the children of the house, the six children of, the, uh, of Harriet and Essie Traxon, were sent away because there wasn't enough space and there wasn't enough money. So they went to a variety of rather bad schools and then they were palmed out on relatives and friends. And half the time, I don't think the parents knew where the children were, which suited John Traxon a treat. He had this life of complete freedom and he was taught to be individual and intrepid and it, and it stood him in really good stead. Elizabeth Jane Howard shared a governess with him for a while. She came to stay and was rather, I think, infatuated with his father, the professor of, of music. And she, I think, either wrote or spoke about it as something so different to her own kind of rather horribly hygienic milieu. And said that the Craxtons were happy, but not only that, but they had a sort of magical ability for it to, to spread like pollen, to rub off on others. And there are terribly funny things. You write about all of that p period so wonderfully, the vignette after vignette, um, and the sense of fun that is endemic to that household. The professor of, of music is no, no slouch in that either. Um, and at their annual review at their house, he would play Three Blind Mice in the style of any composer that his audience suggested. And Elizabeth Jane Howard and John Craxton would drift around for weeks in velvet robes, pointed slippers and false beards. <laughs> it's just gorgeous. Exactly. And, 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 and he, John, John painted wonderful sets for those reviews. And because they had such amazing uh, contacts, that uh, they were seen by the director of a ballet company who actually commissioned John to do, a, to do sets for a West End production when he was still 16, which was actually aborted by the start of World War II. So that was one of the many things he had against Hitler. But I mean, to, to get that break so early. The circle is, is fascinating. You, you mentioned John Barbarolli, Rafe Vaughan Williams, Laura Knight and her husband, jo Julian Huxley, Edith Evans, Peggy Ashroff. But um, he also, as well as all of that, he, I mean, he started everything so young. He had his first exhibition at 13, 
who's so talented and also clearly lovely. Um, but really, it was his meeting with Peter Watson, which was an, which was simply, I think, did you? I think you say that he just sort of accepted a ticket to the theatre that somebody else couldn't use. Yes. And and thereby met Peter Watson, who became his first and most important patron. Most important patron. Yes. P P Peter Watson, as you know, was was the co-founder of the of the magazine Horizon and 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 the art editor of it, and he sponsored people in a really one way and in, uh, uh, widened their horizons and, and John had the free free range of his library and he connected him to um, the influences of Samuel Palmer and William Blake which were very very important to John during the war he introduced him to Graham Sutherland and John Piper who became his friends and mentors particularly Sutherland and then most importantly of all he introduced him to Lucian Freud when these two were 19 and that just took off. They were, within weeks, they have been set up by Peter Watson in, in adjoining studios in St. John's Wood, and they just united together against, in revolt against any kind of conformity in, in art and in life, and they just roared through what, wartime London, and, and, and John's pictures during the war were very dark and melancholic, and pictures of lonely figures uh, in menaced landscapes, all of which were emblematic portraits of himself. And although he did feel like that because he wanted to be away, he wanted to be away and he was actually ill, he had tuberculosis. So there were issues, but really he was so high spirited and he was actually having a ball. He always had a ball. So um, it, these were very much works of the imagination. And they, yes, relating to the the his appreciation of landscape, landscapes that he had known on the South Downs, I think, a, a wonderful forest with trees like serpents that come up in, in those early paintings. That's right. They, they, yeah. they were based on, like, this is near Chichester, and uh, a, a, um, um, a, a ancient yew trees he loved, and, and ancient hornbeams, and he, he loved the old forests of Dorset and, uh, and, and Sussex. And um, he, uh, and also, when he when he was growing up in St John's Wood, uh, he the the, the, the lamplighter would come around in the evening and light light the the, the lamps and and this would send sh um, flickering shadows of, of pollarded trees across his bedroom ceiling and it would he would actually imagine them all into dramas. He was much more visual. He didn't read so much. He was all visual imagery, which actually fed into his imagination. I mean, he he does have uh, this is not only an astonishing talent. But uh, as, 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 as a young painter, but um, this ever-expanding world of people. He goes to Paris when he's 16 and stays with friends of his mother's and the husband is a painter who's been taught by Ilya Repin. I mean, all the, t all the time there are these fascinating links with, with other artists. Yes, yes, yes. He was, as I say, supremely fortunate, but he made the most of his... Uh, advantages. He yes. was he was resilient. He was very, extremely resilient. He was uh, very determined, uh, and he he um, he just made the most of his life. And he it was very much a life around people. He loved. He did, basically he loved. He loved people. He loved other people. And and um, most of his friendships were for life. Uh, the, the 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 friendship with Lucian being the the, the exception because oh, they did yes. that late, uh, which was the great shadow over his later life i think did he mind do you think that he and lucian parted company well, he says so often that he didn't that of course one could only conclude that he actually did 
and and it, he was all always referring to it and they, they were just so close when they were young um between about 19 and 26 they were they yeah. were like brothers and and uh, they they fed off each other in in, in, a, in a wonderful way though you do suggest sometimes somewhere that um there was a degree of of that nevertheless that Craxton even then retained a certain reticence towards Lucian that that Lucian is such a sort of extraordinary and unpredictable and dangerous bomb protect perpetually in the throes of going off that, all, all, um, all of that I mean what, what it all made Lucian so exciting but in the end there was a, an element that John didn't exactly trust. Mm. So I, I, th I think there, there was a certain uh, distance. I mean, I mean Lucian said later he'd, he'd never realised that John was gay. Well, um, uh, John early on was actually bisexual. He had, he had um, major relationships with, with, with women, uh, but he was essentially homosexual and, and, and latterly exclusively. Uh, and Lucian said he hadn't actually seen that. Well, that's rather surprising. One doesn't know how to take that. It's hard to hard to believe, almost, with all their roisterings in Soho. Yes. Uh, I, later on, Lucian very much wanted to play down the role of, of John in his life, and and uh, that was uh, taken up, I think, by a lot of Freud uh, writers on Freud. So um, uh, I think the story that I've I I presented is actually uh, a revelation in many ways because it it, it is all about this very close friendship and it's all documented luckily John kept Lucian's letters uh, so um, it's it's an important it's an important strand in both of their lives yes. it's, and, it, and it's, it's a very wonderful thing it's I mean it's hilarious half the time what they got yes. up to and their and their um their pleasure in each other the 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 um they weren't even I mean they were friends but they weren't an artistic movement of two they were wanted to be nothing to do with any of the others. Yeah, that's it. There's an absolutely lovely bit in your book uh, when John and Lucian are staying with um, Joan. Joan Bale, yeah, in Cambridgeshire. Yeah. 1943, so he's 21. And there they are, and he's ha they're having breakfast. And the child, one of the children remembers and, and, and tells the following. I just love this story. So here, we were very small and they were all terribly bright, Lucien and John. Talk and laughter flowed, there seemed to be no silences. One morning we were having breakfast and the windows were open. A bantam flew in. John had a lot of cream in his porridge from our Jersey cows. She walked the length of the table and stepped into John's porridge, <laughs> warming her feet. Very carefully he continued to eat around the bird, rotating his plate until she was standing on a little porridge island. Then he returned the bowl with the bantam still in it to the serving hatch in the kitchen. You can see why I love researching this book and why it took me so long. I didn't want it to end. <laughs> no, I can imagine. I mean, it's just, and that's why the book is so, such a joy and pleasure to read, is it's full of that sort of thing. You met him, I think, in about 2000? 2000, yeah. So he was... He was he was seventy five or so. He was seventy seven. I knew him for his last decade. He'd just given up 
uh, was just about giving up his motorbike. Um, with, with John, he never gave things up. Becoming a rocking horse, giving up being a centaur and becoming a rocking horse. Isn't that brilliant? Uh, I feel without my motor, motor, motorbike, I feel like a centaur turned into a rocking horse. Yeah. I mean, it's just an amazing image. He's so good with words. So good with words. And he, and he was, as a totally uneducated, there is no punctuation. The spelling is all over the place. But as, a, as streams of consciousness, they are mm. just magnificent. It's often the case with painters. I, 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 I read Stanley Spencer's letter. It, it, it's just so pure what comes out of an artist's, an yes. artist's mind and, and just, just set down in, without any kind of, kind of reservation and, and hesitation. Yes, and in that way, I think letters also are rather wonderful because they're not um, they're, comp they're they're communications. They're not sort of things which are supposed to sort of stand on their own, where people sometimes become laboured or subconscious. Or I mean, W. S. Graham's letters are heavenly in that way too. Yes, yes, uh, I, I quote you from one of those because uh, I, I so like him. Uh, uh, John would have met him in, in Soho um, early on, um, but he, just one of the things that I never got around to mention to talking to John about, so many of those and um, missed opportunities, but this whole story was nearly lost because John didn't want it told until very late. And is that because he thought that nobody would understand, nobody would get it right? Yes. He said, uh, I refuse to let my carefully orchestrated pictures play second fiddle to someone else's art theories and I thought well that's absolutely fair enough uh, and I, I didn't want to put my views into this I'm sure they are there but I'm trying to, to, to restrain them I wanted people to know what he was thinking what he was what, what it felt like for him and uh, he said that uh, art writers always played against a din of grinding axes and they always got their facts wrong. Uh, but in the end, he, he, he did relent for me. And because he, in the end, he was just, I think, convinced that I just wanted his story and didn't want to put my take on mm. it at all. I had, I had no other agenda apart from just uh, wanting to convey the magic that was John Craxton. Yes. I mean, you must have really become close friends. Yes, you must miss him terribly. Well, well, it, well, well, well it, it, he, he's never left in a way because he's he, he was a very he was a very demanding person to know, and and I, I, I help to run his estate now, and he he's, he's taken over my life, but as I say, it's it's, it's very much a labour of love. He, um, I, I didn't want it to be hagiography, so there are if I ha had any critical information, I have. Oh, I have used it. I've held nothing back. There, there was not another John Craxton that I've, I've hidden away. Uh, no. But uh, but but uh, it's all um, it's all minor stuff compared with the great glory of John Craxton, the glory of the life, the glory of the life, the glory of the work. Um, so he he began exhibiting, and for instance, in 1947, just after the war, Peter Watson helped create a show in which his work was shown with Bacon, Freud and Barbara Hepworth, alongside the work of people like Picasso, Paul Klee, Matisse, Mondrian, Miro, others. Um, and yet, from a critical point of view, he's sort of, it's been sort of curiously uneven. Wyndham Lewis likened his work, sort of, I think, around about that time to a prettily tinted cocktail that's good but does not kick quite hard enough. Yes. And then Con Connolly, um, again at that time saying everybody was so depressed in rationed 
weather-weighted island-bound Britain. Um, Connolly saying that from now on an artist will be judged on the quality of his despair. And John clearly lacked the required despair to be taken seriously. He certainly lacked it. Thank God. And he, and he escaped from that. Yes. Uh, I, I, as, as, as in 1967, he, ha he had a retrospective of the Whitechapel Gallery, which was rather badly received. And one reviewer said he was a painter who struggled hard against a handicap of happiness. <laughs> now, first of all, he wasn't struggling. He was giving himself up utterly to it. But also a handicap of happiness. What, what, are, we, what are we talking about here? Do we have very, miserable? Very twisted. But 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 he, but John needed to get away from Britain. That that's for sure. He 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 needed a different climate. He needed a, 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 a different way of being. And yes. basically, when he got to Greece in in May 1946, he never looked back, uh, mm -hmm. both as an artist and a person. And having been taken there by the wife of the British ambassador and a clapped out old bomber. Yes, a borrowed bomber that she was. She'd taken to Milan to uh, on a mission to get new curtains for the embassy, <laughs> and she got she'd gone up to Zurich for his his exhibition, and he'd sat next to her at the opening, and, and of course he charmed his way onto the onto the return flight. Uh, she was a great friend of of Joan Rayner, who became Joan Joan Lee Fermer, who in a way was the best friend of John's life. And he already knew her from London. They'd been dancing pals. That's it. They they. She lived opposite Peter Watson. In another of those little sort of little bubbles, I think is the term for the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And uh, she, she was she was marvelous. She she was very elegant, very sexy, and very very intelligent. I mean, she was she was a, a major intellectual, really, and also very wealthy. And she was ex extremely generous with with sharing this windfall with her friends and and with Paddy. Well, she, well, pa Paddy would have done nothing without Joan. And and, yeah. and and I think and and I think um, that I, I sense a bit of a backlash now to, to the wonderful person that was Paddy Lee Fermer because it's assumed that there was a put upon wife in the background. Well, Joan was not a put upon wife. They no. were, and that somehow that he that he Paddy was the creator of this extraordinary world. Yeah, she was she was equally important. I mean, she. she Yes, and she had the contact. She was the friend of John Murray, and she introduced Paddy to John Murray, I'm sure. Yeah. She got John and Paddy together for this fantastic collaboration on the books. Uh, John's jackets for Paddy are just yeah. wonderful. The last one, the staggering thing, that it was a, the buyer for Tesco's who said that the letters of Paddy Lee Farmer and Debo Devonshire could not have a Craxton cover. You wanted to tear your hair out. Exactly, exactly. John was furious, but John Fury in a way became John Craxton. He did actually. He 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 he, uh, he effervesced, and that sort of helped. I think that might have helped the blood flow through the arteries at the end. So, um, so yes, then then he moves to Crete, um, and goes on, uh, apart from the occasional brush with a law, with this bizarre theory that he might have been a spy that every now and again would come up. I mean, the world's worst spy. The world's worst spy, a hopeless spy. I mean, an impossible spy. I mean, I don't think spies are supposed to have such a, such a good time. He definitely wasn't. And I, I researched that very carefully because I, uh, it, it was a charge that came up so often. Uh, yes. And I did talk to uh, some major spies who said, who actually laughed. Um, <laughs> And um, 
anybody anybody in Greece after the war, any foreigner who went to Greece uh, and stayed on, the Greeks couldn't believe it because they had a view, they'd known such terrible times, such hardship, they just couldn't believe that. that anybody would want to be there. Was it worse in the, in the time of the colonels, when the colonels took over in 67? It, 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 yes, yes. Uh, well, well, certainly it was worse for Pete, for for for, for John's sense of humour. I mean, the the more, author, more the more authoritarian the regime, the more the more sensitive they are to being mocked. And you know, John, uh, one of John's friends said, um, John had to leave Greece when his jokes ran away with him, which I thought was a <laughs> wonderful quote. Uh, and he, he he mocked police, police the police he mocked authority and uh, they didn't like that. But 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 you know, he he arrived in Greece when the, when when this civil war was in full swing and and he it wasn't just that he could blotted it out. He was just looking at he was just determined on his life and and uh, uh, and he and he was just. Um, he, he saw beyond the immediate and, and saw this great connection to, to the, the persistence of myth in everyday reality in Greece. Yes. Uh, and this is, what, this is what he was getting, this is what he got to. And I think his paintings look to be very, very um, of our moment. But in fact, there, there are layers in there which go right back to his ancient history and mythology. Byzantine icons to the, those um, Fayum portraits, the late Roman portraits, Mum, sarcophagus portraits. And he he loved those. He, he first seen those at the Pitt Rivers Museum in Dorset when he was very young. Yes. Uh, I mean, he, he had all, time and again, he had these amazing breaks of luck. He hardly stayed at any school long enough to do anything, but one school he went to, he went, he was taken home by two pupils. And the father of one of the pupils was Eric Kennington, the sculptor who made Heroes of Ordinary People, uh, and he was a huge influence on John. And the other one was a collector of old master paintings who had just a magnificent El Greco painting in his house in Scotland. So John, brought home by his son from school, was able to see this painting, which had a huge influence. And then when John went to, was forced to go on a Boy Scout camp in, 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 in France, this collector, Mark Oliver, turned up in his sports car, sped John off to Paris to see Guernica, Guernica. just fresh from Picasso's studio. And John was 14. Yeah. And, and this time and time again, he had this opportunity. And it can be, some people get annoyed by it because you know, the, the, the envy is a huge thing in, 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 in humanity, isn't it? But, 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 but you can't with John because it's just... It's, 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 it's the way he lived and it's the way he, and he, and he used his opportunities. And it, also with, he, he went with luck, he went with opportunity. And also he was, he was prepared to pay the price of doing that because, he, 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 because he, you had to have a courage, you have to have courage. He, he, you quote him somewhere saying that um, he, he wouldn't wish luck on a child because the child would suffer. Yeah, he, would wish, luck. he, he would wish luck, but with the warning that the child yes. would suffer. Uh, and 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 uh, uh, I, I think that's um, that's. So he knew what it brought him, both. Yes. The 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 the, the, the wonderful things, but also the complications. Though he yeah. seems to have worn the complications pretty lightly. I mean, for most of us, John Craxton lived in turmoil. I mean, he he lived in building sites. He never finished anything, uh, a picture or, or a house. You know, he he lived in chaos and and and. Uh, but he, but it can't. Chaos became him. Intermittently broke, mostly broke. 
mostly broke. That's another reason I call the book a life of gifts because he, he lived off presents. <laughs> and he had he had small advances from galleries for some some of the time, and then from his pictures. But mostly he was living on his friends. I mean, he was his mother was paying for him until she died when he was fifty five. But I mean. He could certainly have sponged off me if I'd been around. What a wonderful, what a wonderful honour to support a life like that. You also mention um, the fact that his, he was able to lead a life in Greece that he could not have lived in, in London or anywhere, really, in Britain. And quite, and quite specifically, uh, I quote, England killed John Minton and Keith Vaughan. Greece saved John Craxton. Very important. Um, in the pre-Wolfenden Wolfenden world. Well, well, homosexuality was, was, was decriminalised within a very, very strict definition of privacy in 1967, when John was 45. And, and it, it's incredible, I think, for us to think now in 2021 that, 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 yes. that, that, that the, these laws were so punitive. I mean, yes. homosexuality was, 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 was criminal in anywhere, in your own house, in your own bedroom, yeah. Yeah. just yeah. Out, out, anywhere. And people were prosecuted and imprisoned. The, the, the law was vindictive in this area, periodically. In the, and in the 50s, certainly, I think. It, there was another wave in the 50s, and 53 was, 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 was a particularly bad one. And, and, and so John, John um, needed to be away from that. Uh, and and, and, and he, he, that was, a, that was a, a major reason for going to Greece. Another reason that was that for people without any money or very little money, Greece was amazingly cheap. And, 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 and just, I, sh I should make one thing clear here, that John had all these famous friends. He never painted them. He painted ordinary people. And in the end, ordinary people were the company he most liked to keep. Uh, so this is, it, it, it wasn't an absolutely rarefied elite, world of the elite that, that, that John was, John, John was uh, reflecting. He was actually writing, he, painting ordinary life. It looks as if Geeker had some influence, in, influenced Craxton's yeah. development. I think it worked, worked both, both ways. People who saw the Charm Lives in, in Greece show at the British Museum in 2018 will have seen this fantastic web of friendships between the Lee Firmers, the Geekers and Craxton. And they, they influenced each other's houses and, 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 and they were very mutually supportive. And, and um, John and the Lee Firmers lived for uh, long, long periods in the 50s in, in Geeker's house on Idra. Uh, until it burnt down in 1961, and then they helped uh, uh, um, the, the geekers with their new house in Corfu, and and the, uh, and they were all in in, in the Lee Firma house in in, in Cardamili, and and this was a great important, really crucial crucial support network, and um, Geek was considered to be older. And John did an awful lot of looking after uh, uh, Geek when 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 his wife Barbara died, and John wasn't just a taker. He was, he was also a giver and, uh, and his friends would have said in the end he was more of a giver than a taker. Yes, he helped Geeker with his setting up then what has become the Geeker Museum in Athens yes. in his, that apartment block that his father had owned and has his flat and studio above. It's just a marvellous place. Anybody going to Athens really must yes. go there. It's open to the public. And the collection of Greek art from the 20s to the 
to the late 60s is absolutely astounding. Yes, Greek modernism, it's, 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 it's a wonderful record. A life of gift is unencumbered, free, most of all, from guilt. Yes, he had none of that. He, no, he wasn't a Puritan. <laughs> no, I know, it's absolutely joyful, as, as are the paintings. And there's going to be a crack and a show of Craxton's work opening next year in Athens. Yes, his work can be seen in London at the Osborne Samuel Gallery. There's a, there's a show on at the moment of early work called Drawn from Darkness, but the um, museum shows uh, will be uh, next year, John's centenary, 2022. And we open at the Bernaki in Athens in April, and then we go to Crete, Hania, where John lived from 1960 uh, in the autumn. And then in the new year, we go on to the, the, uh, the Mesha in Istanbul, uh, after which we hope to come into uh, UK venues as yet unfixed. But I hope people can uh, can join us on the tour. As I say, his sense of humour never deserted him. And when he went to hospital very late in life, um, thinking it might be curtains, the consultant said to him, what's your priority for the rest of your life? Meaning, how much intervention do you want? And he said, it's absolutely essential that I outlive Lucian Freud. <laughs> which he managed by about a week. No, he didn't. Oh no! no he, he died in two thousand and nine, and and, and Lucian died. In, yeah. Yes, so so he he didn't win that one. But um, I, I'd I'd hope that Lucian would turn up at his funeral, but he didn't. Their estrangement appears to have been unresolved on both sides, but John fell out with very few. His is a life that seems not only charmed but supremely well lived. That special Craxton pollen, noted by Elizabeth Jane Howard not only enriched John's friendships and loves, but seems to suffuse his joyful paintings and so continues to rub off on us all. Thank you, Ian, very much for your tales and generous insights and for your time and, of course, for the book. It's been an absolute delight to talk to you about it. This recording made long distance, maybe a little uneven at moments, as the connection was poor and indeed eventually broke off. We continued by telephone, and Ian has asked us to mention that it was not the buyer at Tesco's who thought that a Craxton cover would make the letters of Patrick Lee Fermor and Deborah Devonshire unsellable, but the buyer at another august and vast chain emporium. This error appeared in the proof of the biography that I was using, but not in the book itself. And lastly, John Craxton, A Life of Gifts, will be included in our forthcoming Books for Autumn and Christmas catalogue as it is truly one of the outstanding books of 2021. Thank you. Mm -hmm.